Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Rethink Retail podcast. I'm your host, Gabriella Bach, and today I'm speaking with my very special guest, Madeline Ringo. Madeline is a celebrated architectural designer and the founder of Ringo Studio, a Brooklyn-based creative collective that's behind some of the country's best-known store concepts, including Bala, Studs, Funny Face Bakery, and even the Museum of Ice Cream, which... I bet if you haven't visited, I'm sure you've had several friends who have and posted their pastel pictures to Instagram. Madeline is also the head of studio design at Modern Age, which is a longevity clinic offering proactive care for how you look and feel. And prior to founding Ringo Studio, Madeline served as the senior retail designer for Glossier, where she was an architectural designer and the creative lead on retail experiences for the brand uh, in cities such as Miami, Boston, Austin, and Atlanta. Madeline also holds a master's degree in architecture from this little university called Yale. Madeline, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for having me. Excited to chat with you today. Absolutely. Um, Well, I'm super excited to have you on because you have designed some incredible spaces. The work you've done with Glossier, the Museum of Ice Cream, Studs, it's just all remarkable work. And um, before we get there, I would kind of like to take it back a bit and learn a little bit more about you and, you know, what really drew you into this field? How, how did you get to um, where you are now to designing these incredible retail spaces? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've always been a creative. I grew up in a very creative family surrounded by painting and arts of many different mediums, photography, jewelry making. And I've always really enjoyed, you know, in the participation of fashion and self-expression through those those different creative versions of self-expression. And I've always been kind of blending some of these elements together. I've also had very much uh, interest in entrepreneurship and, and kind of building something new, whether that be you know, using something in the in the creative field like graphic skills and making a poster to launch an initiative in school or using, you know, my leadership skills to host an architecture conference in college. So I've always been interested in kind of blending a lot of those two together and specifically in architecture and interior design. You know, it's a medium where you can bring inspiration from so many different industries and and trends, um, theater and, you know, lighting design and fashion even. And it's an art form of storytelling. And I, I know, I, I really love, you know, working with color and light and materiality and kind of the potential of creating these spaces that transport somebody to a different world. Yeah. And I think, you know, I went to architecture school at the University of Kentucky and had a had a lovely four years there and was exposed to some really incredible professors. And then I came to New York after that and began my first kind of professional experiences in architecture. And I worked for a small design office and did some really incredible museum work with them. And then I got my toes wet with working as an in-house designer for a brand. And some of those first professional experiences, I think, really formed 
a lot about the way I was thinking about the storytelling components of architecture mm -hmm. uh, and design, but also that initial experience of, you know, being an in-house designer as, you know, as part of a larger brand, it kind of gave me a glimpse at a very young age into, you know, what it means to communicate a brand both through copy and messaging and marketing, but also through physical space. Yeah, you know, something that really just kind of stuck out to me, what you were just sharing with us, Madeline, is kind of describing the new way in which retailers are thinking about store design is as almost if it's like a stage. You spoke about theater and lighting and play as if the shopper is a member of the audience. And so now it becomes that, you know, everything from the walls to the interiors to every interaction with a sales associate to the way the shelves are merchandised, it's all become this very integral part of the story, which I think is is definitely demonstrated um, in a lot of the stores and spaces that you've designed, Madeline, and kind of a, a trend that we are seeing um, a lot of recently. And I definitely want to pick your brain more on trends in a little bit. But before we get there, I just want to know, I'm super curious to know, what was the first store that you designed? Yeah, the first store I designed, it wasn't really a store. It was a ping pong club in Los Angeles. And that goes back to uh, when I was talking about one of my first professional experiences. When I moved to New York after college, I began working at the Standard Hotel as uh, one of their in-house designers. And it was an incredible, I was you know, there for a very short amount of time. I think it was just like maybe somewhere between five and six months. I was very much a young baby intern. And so my role was very somewhat insignificant in this, but it was such a fun project. Um, so the Standard Hotel, if you know that brand, they mm -hmm. are delightful across across so many different scales of detail. Um, and this particular project was to renovate their downtown Los Angeles Standard Hotel. Um, we were removing all of the conference rooms from the space and turning it into a ping pong club that had this very kind of vintagey, um, loungy feeling to it. Um, and it was also a, a partnership with Susan Sarandon's uh, company, Spin. Oh, okay. So Yeah. So it was a really fun, you know, it had so many different the project had so many different levels to it. It was, you know, partnering with Susan Sarandon. It was partnering with the hotel. It was inside of a hotel. And it was also a branded experience for the standard. And and it had this sense of movement and playfulness to it. So that was a really, a really fun first kind of professional design project. And I think, you know, the standard hotel, like I said, is just like such an inspirational brand in in that they carry their brand language across every single touch point. Mm -hmm. I was recently in their their new hotel in Bangkok, and I was just kind of overwhelmed with the cleverness of of how perfect every detail, you know, from the architecture to the way that that the the signs that you put on the, you know, on the back of your door read into like the way that they direct you to the elevator and kind of the music in the elevator, like every little moment of that customer experience is so thoughtful and designed. And it's, you know, it's such an inspiration. So, so yeah, that was such a great kind of 
introduction to both brand design, but also something that had a customer, uh, not quite retail, but a, a customer experience involved. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting project because you normally wouldn't kind of couple the sophistication of the standard hotel with something like ping pong. Right. But that's um, what they're great at. They're great at kind of getting those opposing ideas and finding that like perfectly clever way to surprise you. I love it. And how many rounds of ping pong did you have to play to uh, figure out kind of the spatial dynamics of, of right. designing a room like that? Yeah. So um, I can't say that I'm great at ping pong, but uh, one of my my roles within that process was um, we we covered the space in a lot of really incredible like imagery of celebrities playing ping pong which is kind of like I don't know I guess there's like for some reason there's photographs of all sorts of celebrities playing ping pong so part of my task was to find these images from music celebrities to fashion celebrities to like even Barack Obama and so I I, I got to do a lot of research on that project and, and it was really fun research kind of finding these like iconic images yeah wow well, what a super cool kind of first real professional experience to get your feet wet, you know? And also, I didn't know that Barack Obama was such an avid ping pong player. So very happy that I now possess that of trivia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about, you know, the store kind of being a stage. What are some of the other big trends that, you know, you think are really influencing experiential store design today? What are you seeing? What are your clients asking for? Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely um, I'm definitely seeing some shifts in a, in a lot of the different client conversations that we're having. Particularly, I think you know the pandemic drove a lot of this change. But mm -hmm. uh, when clients are coming to us now and and they're interested in creating a retail space, there's always something a little bit more than just the transaction of selling a product that's displayed on a shelf now. So oftentimes, you know, it's coming with this like other service component, whether that be with the example of studs, shopping for jewelry, but also coming to the space to have an ear piercing experience or with modern age, you know, it is a it is a longevity clinic. So you're coming there and you're talking with professionals and you might be buying skincare products or supplements, but you're also able to, you know, get get services from clinicians. And so there's there's this kind of service and retail component. And then, you know, in some lighter ways, there is also this idea of like, you know, retail, but with a side of a coffee shop or retail with the side of a a juice, a juice store. So I'm I'm noticing this kind of like this kind of very intentional pairing of things. I think that is all about, you know, building community and creating inclusivity within the brand and creating a, a more of a, a place where customers can hang out and spend time. And, you know, that starts to enable the brand to create more than just a transactional space, but a space that expresses their brand mission or creates like a much more holistic environment for their customers. Also, even, you know, even down to like one of our projects that will be opening soon, we talked a lot about bringing in the component of a cooking class into the space. Um, so, yeah, a lot. I think, yeah, that's kind of the trend I'm seeing is is not only retail or, or maybe even that the retail component is getting much 
smaller in the footprint of the store and that this community space is getting much larger in the store. Yeah, that's a super good point. Um, And, you know, really touching upon what you just kind of shared with us, Madeline, is that, you know, retailers are really focusing on creating stores that serve more than one purpose. So they're transactional spaces, but they're also spaces that can serve as a communal space, um, a place that can really you know, foster human connection, which, you know, is so important today. And I think retailers are really kind of focusing on so much because we know that, you know, the experiences that people can form an emotional connection to are the experiences that are going to stick in people's minds. Um, And I'd even say like um, another sort of example of that is with our recent collaboration with Bala, the store that we designed in Soho, um, they also hosted classes before and after opening hours and bringing their community back in for something that was, you know, let's use the Bala products, but in class with often an influencer, you know, someone who um, is really well known for their teaching style, but someone, you know, using those products in the context of an activity, which was really interesting in that. So we designed that store um, with the idea in mind that at some point the retail elements had to disappear so that we could make way for yoga mats. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, thinking about having to design a space that can, one, house an entire yoga class, um, but at the same time, like you still have to sell products, you know, what kind of challenges does that present to you then as a designer? And and how do you go about finding the right balance between those two different elements? Yeah, so um, it's definitely, it definitely creates a, a more complex problem because you're adding multiple layers of operations into the floor plan. You're adding the retail operations and the storage and the need for merchandising and storytelling. But then you're also adding in the complexities of events and gatherings of like 20 to 50 people. And I think, you know, it it forces us to think about how the design is both great as a backdrop for the merchandise, but also how the design is a backdrop for other types of content. Like how does the space look both at the smaller scale if somebody is taking a photo of the merchandise, but also maybe someone is shooting, you know, TikTok content or is shooting brand content or or the video of a class or of a discussion or of a you know a fireside chat that's happening in the space. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it you know we have to think a little bit about how the store can and the objects that we're designing in the store can both feel permanent and fixed, so that when a customer is there for the retail experience, it doesn't feel secondary or it doesn't feel um, temporal. Uh, but then when they come back for the other activity, it also needs to look and feel like the space was designed for that experience as well. So thinking a lot about, um, yeah, kind of also even even some of the very basic complexities of how heavy is it? You know, how heavy are these objects and how can we easily move them around the space and transform the space, um, you know, from a, a specifically an operational standpoint? Yeah. and. Well, and this is something I've at least personally experienced, but um, I've definitely been in stores where 
just the sheer amount of of products that there are in this store uh, can be kind of overwhelming. And, you know, it just it makes shopping a little more challenging. And I think this is something that we're seeing retailers kind of incorporate in their in their stores, which is kind of this notion that less is more from a merchandising standpoint. But are there also design laws that support this notion as well? Yeah, I think there's kind of two scenarios I'm thinking about. One where the brand is just showcasing their own products. Um, but there's also a lot of stores that are doing multi-brand retail. And so not only are you thinking about the simplicity of the product and the storytelling, uh, but sometimes you might even be thinking about two different brands showing up right next to each other and how that how that looks and feels and and how how the backdrop can support a multi-brand experience, you know, like um almost like the backdrop or the shelving system has to become the constant across all of the different products that may be that may look very different from each other and may sort of be vi- visually like cluttering. Mm-hmm. But I say like in terms of design rules yeah, I mean, we love when things are more curated and when we have the ability to do more specific storytelling. I think it also makes customers feel more relaxed while they're shopping and also creates a more elevated experience rather than putting so many things out on the shelves that, you know, kind of doesn't allow for any curiosity or any sort of wanting of more. So there's definitely, yeah, definitely some some great curatorial tricks just visually. Um, And then if you are in a situation where you do need multiple brands displayed at once, like I often fall back on creating, you know, a sense of, of grid and spacing so that the clutter feels organized or the multiple products feel um, structured and and easy to navigate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You mentioned grid and I kind of wanted to ask about how much do you think social media has kind of impacted, you know, some of the the design trends that we're seeing right now? Yeah. So, you know, definitely a lot of the spaces that I have designed over the, the last three to five years um, very much have had social media as you know, at the forefront of our discussions um, with the brands, uh, with the teams, with my designers, because often, you know, we are, we're thinking about how customers come into the space and how they photograph the space, also how they might photograph themselves in the space. So it certainly has influenced a lot of our work, a lot of our conversations, everything from how lighting in retail became, you know, lighting, especially in the beauty industry, became really critical, making sure that someone's face looked amazing in the mirror, had no shadows, so that when they were taking those photos, they looked incredible. Also, I think, you know, certain colors show up better uh, on social media or like certain tonalities of colors can kind of pop better. So a, a lot of that comes, you know, a lot of the the thinking through social media comes into a lot of our design choices and design process. Even, you know, this is kind of like a, a, a smaller thing, but I've been thinking about it a lot from grid to TikTok or grid to reels. There is now a lot more video being taken in the spaces that we design. And it's been interesting to start to see 
those videos and how influencers or how customers are are capturing the space while they're moving, which is very different than the very than the much more curated um, static selfie moment that we were able to design and like almost give someone very clear instructions as to what to capture. But now, you know, with the the increase of video in social media, it's it's definitely switching again a little bit. And I'm noticing um, I'm noticing things even down to like the way that lighting responds in video is different than on still images, because especially with LEDs, they can flicker in video and you never notice that when you're in a store. But no. if you, when you're editing the video, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's been something actually that's been at the um, kind of at the forefront of my thoughts right now is just, um, yeah, kind of, you know, thinking even more detailed around like how does our LED, you know, what what are the qualities of the LEDs that we're using in our lighting design? And like, how do we make sure that the video that's that's being captured, um, you know, has some of these considerations from the design perspective? So. Yeah, thinking thinking about that. Um, so definitely thinking about video, but I've also in a couple of recent client conversations, um, you know, there's there's so much saturation with content out in the world. Like, you know, on Instagram and TikTok and all of these different platforms, there's there's just so much content and and so much um, expectation now that retail stores are going to give you a selfie moment or a selfie room or something um, something for your grid. And I've also noticed a, a slight, like the beginning of a, a shift in current discussions with clients that kind of want to pull away from so literally offering that. Um, they are starting to be, you know, more interested in keeping it a little bit more private or mysterious and less in your face and and a little bit more subtle branding and and not something that is going to be so stereotypical. Instagrammable. So I'm I'm also noticing a, a little shift in that, like maybe a pivot away a little bit. Interesting. That that's actually a, an interesting because um, I know like you know the millennial the millennial crowd were the the ones seeking the very you know the Instagrammable moments, very popular from like 2015 onwards, maybe a little sooner than that, but. I wonder if you have, you know, what's your take in in that kind of shift away? Maybe it just being not as novel anymore yeah, or totally. That's exactly the right word. I think yeah, I mean yeah, just, you know, giving a little bit more privacy to the experience or the idea that, you know, maybe maybe there's a little bit more sense of fun and curiosity if it's if it's not all over the internet and that you, you know, you maybe you find out word of mouth and it becomes a little bit more of like a secret gem mm. oh, that, you know, you have to kind of be doing your research and, and know the right people to kind of realize that it's there or find it or discover it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think there's just a little bit, and I believe that's coming, you know, a lot from just the, the oversaturation that we're seeing. And it, it's hard. It's really hard right now to um, create, a unique version of a you know of, of a selfie moment in a retail store because it's happening like at such an crazy fast scale on all sections of the world and i am i'm i'm definitely a little bit curious about this this sort of shifts away from instagram a little bit but like how design 
will start to translate again as it goes into um, the metaverse, which I have not explored um, and I'm a little bit scared of it. But, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like very intrigued, especially because of the opportunity that architecture has to influence that world. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm scared. I haven't gotten anywhere near it yet, but... <laughs> It sounds like most of us uh, <laughs> here in the retail industry intrigued, a little terrified, and right. very confused about oh. what it even is. But definitely uh, oppor like the opportunities to create, yeah. you know, art and these very creative branded spaces, I think, are pretty endless because you can do anything you want. You're not withhold to um, the gravity. laws of gravity or physics or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I did want to ask you because you mentioned, you know, Instagrammable moments and kind of a little bit of a shift, a shift away from that. But I have noticed that a lot of um, the spaces that you've designed, um, particularly like the Glacier and the Museum of Ice Cream, you know, they're very kind of color forward and, you know, some of them gravitate toward like a pastel hue and there's this very innate softness and like a roundedness in some of the structural elements that all kind of sort of come together in this very like dreamlike essence. Mm -hmm. um, and those are my observations as a non-designer. So um, <laughs> you could tell me if I'm totally off base there, but I did want to know if, if those designs were sort of representative of your own like personal aesthetic or more of that was what the brand wanted based off of you know um yeah. their their products or their experience yeah definitely um i think i think those observations were on point <laughs> so yeah uh, you know i i really i do i really see space as you know like from a sculptural stance um and you know I've always believed in taking design risks and moving away from expectation when it comes to infusing texture and form and materials and color into the environment. So we're very playful when we design. There's always like a fun material that we discover and we're, you know, we're dying to find the right project to slip it into. So I'd say a lot of the brands um, that we work with, even though they're quite different from Museum of Ice Cream to Studs to Modern Age to Glossier to Our Place, like they they very much have their own brand world and their own brand aesthetic. Um, and I think our our approach to that design is is we find their world and we blend it with a little bit of our own. And so, if you look across all the projects. Um, Hopefully, you know, it's definitely intentional that you see a little bit of an artistic thread through them. Mm -hmm. um, and that's coming from, you know, the textures that you'll see and the, and the bright colors and definitely the curves. And I think, you know, certainly like sculpting the space a little bit more than a typical retail store. You know, we, we definitely like, um, you know, we're doing a lot of interior design, but my team is all rooted in architectural education and so you know we're always thinking about yeah thinking really about like how to sculpt the space and and um definitely provide that that artistic and and design expertise back to the brands but i'd also say that a lot of the brands and the the clients that come to us um 
Right. They're co- they're coming to us because they already have a sense of playfulness and they already have a sense of wanting to take a risk and do something different and disrupt an industry. And um, that's often why why they come to our design studio to to work on that level with us. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, when they do come to you, how do you kind of begin that design process with them? Yeah. So you know, first and foremost, we need to understand um, understand their brand, understand how they came to be. We often get to work directly with the the founders and the CEOs, and some of our initial conversations are really about listening to them and kind of hearing their background, not necessarily as it relates to design, but as it relates to their brand mission um, and how they how they kind of discovered this opportunity. And then we're really looking at you know, the customer journey and we're approaching it from a spatial and sculptural viewpoint and, you know, figuring out how to give that brand experience that's going to like live and breathe within every touch point of the retail store or, you know, it's not necessarily only retail, but kind of every touch point within that interior experience. You know, sometimes like for an example, just recently we um, started working on a new project, which is a showroom. And this is quite interesting because it's not a typology that we've worked on before. And so one of my favorite things about architecture is you get to learn about so many different industries. If you're doing, if you're designing a medical clinic, you have to know everything about the operations, um, the clinical operations, and kind of even the needs of the doctors and the needs of the the customers in sort of a from a health perspective mm-hmm. um, and even sort of sanitary perspective. Um, but then if we're designing a showroom, we also have to learn, we, we also have to put our you know, our, ourselves in those customers' shoes and understand why are people coming to that space and, and who is the profile of the person coming to that space. Um, and particularly a showroom is interesting for us. It's something that, something within our initial conversations with the client is that they wanted their showroom to feel a little bit more like some of the leading retail experiences of today you know somewhere where people could feel like it was a destination and that they were really excited to be there both uh, designers because that's often the profile of the person going to the showroom Um, and by showroom I'm talking specifically like like a a materials showroom so like wood flooring um, wallpaper stone thing like things like that. So they're kind of mimicking sort of like home interior designs in a way. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, and so one of, you know, one of our first steps in that, in that process, because it was a slightly adjacent typology than what we're typically working on, um, we do a, you know, we go and investigate on the ground. So we went to every single materials showroom that we could pack into a single day in New York and we walked around and looked at them all and um, played the role of of the customer and played the role of the designer and kind of took note on all of our experience what we liked and what we didn't like and um, yeah really kind of put our put our like you know research mode on and and got in there and explored Um, yeah I think you know that's that's one of my favorite parts of starting a new project and and beginning to work with a new brand is is really just kind of getting familiar with their products. If if we're designing for um, a cookware company, we need to see the pots and pans, and maybe we need to 
um, go look at other cookware companies that maybe are like an old model of, of retail and understand what they're doing that doesn't resonate with us anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when they come, they come to you, do they come, you know, with a very specific vision in mind? Or are you kind of crafting that vision for them? Or is it kind of like vary from client to client? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that um, usually they don't come with the architectural vision in mind. Um, they often can talk very clearly and specifically about the customer experience, what they want the customer to feel um, and what they want them to, what sort of messages and ideas they want them to leave mm -hmm. the space with. But no, I think, you know, our clients are often creatives and they're, they're visionary people because they've built a company and they're surrounded by creative directors and, and brand designers and people that have expertise in marketing. Um, so they definitely are creatives, but their creative skill set really complements ours. And, and I think, you know, they do give us the freedom and, and the opportunity to both see their brand through a different, a different lens and sort of, um, sort of present it back to them through the lens of mm -hmm. architecture and material. But then they really add to the conversation, even if they can't necessarily speak architecture or speak, you know, the technical language of, of design and detailing. They give us incredible feedback and, and help us make sure that each step of the way we're constantly filtering it back through their brand mission and sort of that, that uh, sort of shining star. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of freedom, um, but it's also a very collaborative process. And I think, you know, that's, that's one of the really exciting parts about this particular niche within the design industry that we're operating in. And, you know, we get to work with some of the, the coolest brands and companies out there that are building really incredible things. So we learn just as much from them um, about marketing strategies and creative direction and brand campaigns. And kind of we get to learn the inner workings of their business, which is really cool. Yeah. And, and I mean, how fun to be able to work together on that and then share in the experience at the end where you get to kind of bask in the the physicality of what you've done or seeing everything come to life. Yeah. And I think, you know, we often work with brands um, on a series of projects. And, you know, sometimes that's a series of retail stores. So we're working with them not only to design a single space, but how do we then take that idea and create a kit of parts that then can be scaled all across uh, many different cities? Um, so that's kind of one way that we've we've developed relationships with clients. Other In other cases, we um, like, ex for example, in the case of Bala, we worked with them across a few different design projects, one being the retail store, um, which we mentioned, you know, transitions into this kind of fitness class space. Um, but then we also worked with them to create a set for an app that they launched, um, Bala Size, where they are filming content, their own branded content, filming fitness classes, and then uh, offering those classes back to their customers. So that was that was great because we did this we did the store um, on a certain design process and then we also created this 
physical experience that was actually not particularly customer facing other than the customer was seeing it on a digital video. And that was, you know, that was really incredible. We, we learned a lot in that process about designing for the camera. We were essentially designing like, you know, a stage specifically for camera angles. And um, we played, we had to create a lot of tricks to make the single stage look like multiple different sets. So it was a lot of techniques with lighting and layering and things that we could take in and out of, of the set to like give it a different appearance and even changing the camera angle or rotating the camera angle gave it, made the set look like a, a totally different set. That's really cool. I think awesome that you guys are helping assist in creating these like additional branded experiences, uh, you know, for the virtual world. You know, because so many brands between their stores and their media and their e-commerce, a lot of it feels, feels very disjointed. And, you know, we are seeing more people wanting to engage and interact with brands far past just making a transaction. You know, for a lot of brands, you know, it's a lifestyle. I'm assuming uh, Ball is very, it's a lifestyle brand. It isn't just about, you know, buying products. It's about kind of living and breathing the brand. So that's, I, I think, a, a really valuable service that you guys are providing. Very cool stuff. I did want to ask, so... If there was any brand that you wish you could work with or maybe a, br a branded space that already exists that you wish you could just go in and redesign, <laughs> what would it be? Okay. No pressure. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I have a couple of, a couple, I'm, I'm always keeping a list of my favorite brands that I'm discovering on Instagram. So I, you know, I have, I could list a series of, of favorites. But I mean, maybe I'll start with one particularly exciting one that that was, uh, you know, a dream idea mm -hmm. that we're, we're currently working on. Um, we're working with a new brand called Contact Sports. And I won't say too much other than we are working with them to redesign the experience of shopping for sex toys. And that has been really fun, especially as we think about all of the the stigmas around um, sex and shopping for sex toys and, and sort of exploring that intimacy with your partner or with your friends or even by yourself. So I love that. And I, I want to do that over and over again with, with more, you know, really, really um, exploring these slightly taboo industries. And so that's a really exciting one. And um, maybe, you know, there's a series of other brands that we we would love to work with. Like, you know, I'm, I'm very inspired by the color palette of My Ceremonia, which is a Latina hair care brand. Um, and I'm also very interested in the way that uh, soft services are changing, you know, the ideas around skincare for your body. So there's a, you know, there's a couple there that I could name, but I'd say like right now, a dream project that I've been thinking about a lot is, um, and I don't really know a more elegant way to put this, but I'm quite interested in designing like a strip club, but from the woman's gaze. Okay. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's something that we've been talking about on our team, but, you know, we've also started some conversations around, um, like how powerful of, of a space that that could be. Um, 
and and just how much design could change that industry mm -hmm. um, and celebrate it rather than it feeling like something uh, that is shameful. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so I'm that actually would be my dream project right now. Oh my gosh! Well, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that, but I think. <laughs> That's super cool. And also, you know, bringing it back to like context sports and just kind of the more taboo industries, maybe a little bit, but like that's, I think, something we're seeing a lot with like, um, you know, like dispensaries um, redesigning. So it's not, yeah, it's not so clinical to make them feel more welcoming and inviting so that people can, you know, shop for what they want to shop for with like, you know, dignity and not feel icky or like shame or bad about the yeah. very, you know, legal item or service that they're, they're purchasing. So, um, I mean, yeah, a project. I just finished two locations for modern age, which is, um, a longevity clinic that is, mm -hmm. is really changing the way customers perceive and feel and think about the aging process. And that has been really fun. Um, you know, trying to redefine what the healthcare space looks and feels like and um, also make sure that it's something that you feel excited to go, an appointment that you feel excited about rather than, you know, often the idea of aging can be very scary or something that we don't talk about. But yeah, it, it's projects like that where there's a clear mission and a clear need for change. And it's, you know, it's the right brand, the right client, their, um, their, their eyes and ears are open and they're ready to, to utilize design tools to kind of carve out a new space. Um, yeah. And so I think the idea of dispensaries and, and the idea of, um, of changing that industry is amazing. And there's been some great, there's been some great, um, Retail experiences have popped up over the last couple of years. I've been following them and kind of seeing what's what's happening in that industry. But yeah, that would be another really fun project. Absolutely. Well, Madeline, it was great to learn more about you and your process for creating some of the world's just truly most remarkable retail spaces. And um, if retailers, if anyone listening wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about what you do or how you can help them, how should they get in contact with you? I'd say, you know, one of the fastest ways right now is to DM me on Instagram, which um, my uh, Instagram handle is just my name, Madeline Ringo. All right. Well, you heard it from her. Madeline Ringo, I really appreciate your time today. It was wonderful chatting with you, and uh, let's stay in touch. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guests. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.